Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning. As we begin today, I want to dive into that very opening question we've been hitting this entire series. It's an age-old question, and that is, how could I know God's will? Maybe you've come today with a question on your heart, like, do I do this with this job? Do I make this decision with my kids or grandkids? I'm wrestling with some decision, and the question we're asking is, well, it'd be interesting to know what God thinks about that thing that you're wrestling with. And most of us, if we're honest, we respond to this question by going, well, I don't know exactly what God's will is, what he wants and recommends for me to do. And the premise of this series is that God wants you to know his vision for your life more than you want to know his vision for your life. And so one of the things we've looked at throughout the week is in week one that that God's will could be broken into three categories. If you did a word search throughout the Bible, you would break it into these three categories of God's will. There's the providential will of God, the moral will of God, and the personal will of God. Would you say those three out loud with me? Say it with me. Providential, moral, and personal will of God. In other words, the providential is the stuff God's gonna do anyway. You don't have to pray about it. This is like he sent Jesus because he loves you. There'll be a judgment day and our deeds, we will be judged. Like these are things he's gonna do no matter what. And then there's the moral will of God. These are the do's and don'ts of the Bible. These are the thou shalt and thou shalt not. We see them all through. We don't have to pray about obeying them. We just gotta learn to surrender to them. And then there's the personal will of God. And the way we can think of this is the providential will of God and the moral will of God are like guardrails on a road that are clear, clearly lined out in scripture. And then there's the personal will of God, the unknown stuff that you and I really wanna know about that are in between the guardrails. But if we violate these two guardrails, then we get off the road and we're in a direction that God never intended us to be. But in order to discover his personal will, we are going in the lanes between the guardrails that he has already placed. Now, what we saw last week was one of the important tools that God uses to reveal his uh, will of God, on that next slide, is he's placed wise people around us who will pour into us, right? These are people that we looked at last week. When you kind of need a shortcut, this is one of the ways he kind of gives us a map with the people who've already gone down that road. And today what we're gonna look at is another important tool that God uses to reveal his will through his word, God's word, the scriptures, the Bible. Now, But what we're gonna discover today is, it's not just important that we read the Bible because we discover so much of who God is and what he wants for our life, but it's important to understand how we read the Bible. Because there's a whole lot of cherry picking going on that allow us to misuse the Bible. And we're gonna talk about how exactly to do that, how we see people do that all the time. But here's the verse that summarizes the entire series. Proverbs chapter one, verse seven. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction, Proverbs 1, 7. We're inviting you to memorize this in this series. Would you just say this verse out loud with me? Say it with me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction, Proverbs 1, 7. Now today is week three of the series, and you may be asking, Mark, I had a question when we started this series Do I marry her? Do I take this job? Do we move here? And I still don't have an answer to that question. 
Well, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about over the next few minutes. It's a little tongue-in-cheek, but I'm going to tell you how most Christians decipher God's will. When they don't use the Bible, I believe they abuse the Bible. And in fact, you, if you're, if you're uh, newer to church, maybe you're kind of not even a Christian, but you're here today. We're so grateful that you're here today. And maybe you've seen Christians do some weird things and claim that God said to do it. It's because sometimes when we don't know God's will, we kind of forge God's signature onto our will. And we claim he told us to do it by finding a verse that looks like it kind of matches up with what we kind of want to do anyway. And it's really what Jesus was saying when he said, don't take the Lord's name in vain. He's saying, don't hijack my will and claim it's his. But boy, is it easy to do, isn't it? In fact, if you're here today and you're new, Christians have been doing this for thousands of years. It's like not new with us. But I actually want to take just a minute to teach you how to do this, right? Because you kind of need to know how the skill, because it'll, it'll help you sniff out when you see people doing this. So here it is. If you really want to learn how to make the Bible say what you want it to say, here are six ways for you to help the Bible say what you want it to say. Yeah, God's got a will, but you got a will too, right? So let's talk about when you got a will and you know you want to do something and you just kind of need the Bible to back you up, to kind of support the thing you want to do, right? Here's number one. The first thing you want to do is identify your conclusion. In other words, what is it that you want? Figure out what you want, kind of have that thing nailed down so that you can now go and figure out a way for the Bible to support you in the thing you already want. Here's number two. This is important. Number two is only look for verses that agree with you. Like if you're going to, yeah, so if you're going to do like a word search and there are verses that disagree with you or challenge you, well, just ignore those. Here's the good news. There are over 31,000 verses in the Bible. Surely you can find a verse that agrees with what you're wanting to go, right? But if you can't, here's the good news. Number three is, well, then just choose a different translation. The good news, there are more than 100 completed translations of the English Bible, which means you now have more than 3 million verses to choose from. Surely you can find a verse that will match where you're wanting to go, kind of your conclusion or the thing that you want to do. And if that doesn't work out, let me give you a secret. This is some that a few of us know about. You can always use the original languages. So... If, if the thing's not really saying what you want it to say, well, that's okay what you can do. And you go, well, I'm not, I have a PhD in you know, languages like Hebrew and Greek that the original uh, Bible was, was, was written in. That's okay. You got the internet. And in five minutes, you can be an expert, right? Just knock yourself out. And the good news is every word has like 12 different nuances, so you can surely support where you're wanting to go. But here, and here's the really fun part. After you've done that, look at step number five. You can go and look for symbols and hidden meanings. Like treat the Bible like a little treasure map. And so like if you're, if you're like, I don't know if I want to move to Austin or not, and then all of a sudden you see something about God going to where the water is, you're like, oh, Austin has lakes. It must be what God wants me to do. Like you just find those kind of hidden maps all throughout, right? The number six is man. Number seven is, is perfection. Ten is you know completion. Three is the trinity. So I can just find these little symbols and hidden maps. I just kind of do all this, and I can leverage this to say what I want it to say. And whatever you do, this is the most important one of all, is number six. If you want the Bible to say what you want it to say, don't worry about context. 
Whatever you do, don't worry about what the rest of the Bible says. Don't worry about cultural context or uh, language context. Don't worry about the genre of the, the, uh, the literary style of that book. You don't worry about that. You just find the thing you want and you run with it and you will be good. And you can then take the Lord's name in vain and you can forge his signature on whatever it is you want to do. I'm telling you, we see this all the time. Let me illustrate exactly how easy this is to do. Let's make a claim. Let's come up with a conclusion and let's see if we can back it up. Here it is. Here's the claim. My claim is that Big Bird is the Antichrist, okay? So I don't know if you know who Big Bird is, character on Sesame Street, and the Antichrist is this person in Scripture that says at the end will be deceive people. Here's how easy it is to make the Bible say what you want it to say. Look at this. This is in 2 John uh, verse 7. There's only one chapter in, in 2 John. It says, I say this because many deceivers, so we're talking about the Antichrist, who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ, that's what the Antichrist will do, as coming in the flesh, that Antichrist won't acknowledge Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, but have gone out into the world, any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Now, have you ever heard Big Bird say that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? No, you have not. And he, Big Bird, has gone out into the world. Therefore, Big Bird is the deceiver and the Antichrist. See how easy this is? Like, it's not that hard. And what's really interesting, if you go to the original language, there's a Hebrew word that means deceiver that also has three consonants in it, H, B, D, which clearly means big bird, right? So this is, this is all you got to do. It's that easy. Now, some of you are going, Mark, this is silly. I, I, that, that doesn't work. I'm telling you, I have heard people do crazier things with the Bible. Like you can take the Bible and you can make it say about anything you want if you want to cherry pick things and if you are coming to it with your conclusion in advance, I, and you have too, you've heard Christians who do this all the time. They take it and they make the Bible say what they want it to say. They're like, I don't know, man, I just flipped it open and I'm pretty sure I should marry her because her hair is the same color as this person in the Bible and clearly God was speaking to me today. And sometimes it could just be the pizza you had last night, right? And so realizing what does the Bible actually say in context, how do we read the Bible? It's not enough to just grab a verse. How do we interpret it to really discern God's will. That's what we're going to talk about today. I hope you know we're being a little tongue-in-cheek on all this. Here are a couple of principles, though, that we really should do. Number one, when you come to the Bible, make sure you interpret all of Scripture within its context because it will determine how to apply it to your life. And secondly, and this is so important because this is a humility that we all bring to the Scriptures, is we must not take the scriptures with our own conclusion and force them on the scripture. Instead, we come with an open hand and say, God, whatever conclusion you've reached, I will adjust my life accordingly. In fact, I would go further to say, if you're reading the Bible regularly and you're not having to adjust things, then you're probably bringing your conclusions to the Bible. But if you're having to regularly shift again and shift again and shift again, it's because you're coming with an open hand and God's word changes us when we're in it. And that's a really good sign. See, history is littered with people who abuse the Bible and say a lot worse things than Big Bird is the Antichrist. I mean, think about it. I don't know if any of you have seen this recent Netflix special that's a three-part documentary on the Waco uh, scenario with, with, uh, with uh, David Koresh. In fact, it was 30 years ago this month whenever David Koresh, who was a cult leader who led a bunch of people down there and they ended up having a confrontation with the ATF and the FBI and more than 80 people died. Do you know how David Koresh was able to coerce people to go and move there and do what they did? 
he used the Bible. Do you know that? In fact, one of his 19 wives, her name is Robin Bund, while the standoff was happening, was interviewed by the New York Times, and this is what she said. Look at this quote from Robin, one of his wives. She said, David had this amazing ability to recite Bible verses, and he just has a good way of interpreting the scriptures. He is very believable. I just want to say, just because someone can quote a lot of Bible doesn't make them trustworthy. Think about it. Satan knows the Bible better than all of us ever will. And he used the Bible to try and tempt Jesus in the wilderness. So the question is, being careful with how we use it. David Koresh used it to convince people that he was the Messiah. He used it to convince people to go and buy weapons. And he used it to convince people to move to a compound in Texas, in Waco, Texas, for a horrible, tragic end. But let's be honest, it's not just people like that. We're all tempted to twist the Bible. When we want what we want, here's why. Because I would love for God to endorse the thing I already want. And so it's easy to take the Bible and to twist it. So with that said, I just wanna give a little heads up. In a few weeks, back three weeks from today on May 21st, we're gonna begin a brand new series called Twisted. And we're gonna look at the most misused verses of the Bible. We're gonna have a lot of fun with that. So that begins here in a few weeks. Meanwhile, I do wanna say, having said all that, The really good news is God does speak to us through his word. He speaks to us through his word. In fact, it's David who said in Psalm 119, and this is the king, this is who God said was a man after his own heart. He's the one who said that your statutes are my delights. In fact, he went further to say, they are my counselor. They advise me. They lead me. God's word directs me to God's will. But here's the challenge. You have intuitions, you have feelings, and you have the ability to reason. And the most tempting thing will be to trust your intuition, to trust your feelings, and to trust your reason. And what the Bible reminds us is that the Bible challenges our intuition, it challenges our reason, and it challenges our feelings. This is Isaiah 55, 8, where we're reminded where God said, your thoughts, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways My ways, declares the Lord. So I ought to be in the Bible often enough that I keep bumping up against things that challenge my intuition, my feelings, and my reason. The question is, well, then how do I make God's ways my ways? How do I make his thoughts my thoughts? How do I get to the place where I'm beginning to think like him and act like him more and trust my own instincts less? How do I become more like him? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I hope if you're here and you're wanting the answer to your question, I hope you'll look at the passage we're going to look at together. If you have your Bibles, look with me in Romans chapter 12, sixth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans. By the way, there was a guy who who, uh, recently came to Jesus Christ here in one of our services, and I got to meet him for coffee this week, just a great man, and he was telling me, Mark, I'm so excited because now I want to learn about the Bible. And he said, and so what I did was I, you told us that we could take one of these Bibles in the pew. So I took that Bible and I've been starting to read it. And I want to tell you, Eloise was telling me this morning that there are at least 10 or 12 Bibles that have been taken over the last two or three weeks. And that's one of the reasons they're here. You see a Bible in the pew and you don't have a Bible. You help yourself. That's your Bible. That's our gift to you. We want everybody to have access to God's word. All right. Amen. Now. 
I want you to see this passage because it's so powerful. In our small group this week, one of the people in our small group actually said the verse we're about to look at is the one that has shaped his life. And, and I, I so see why, because it's such a powerful passage. Uh, Matthew, uh, Romans chapter 12, I want you to see it with me. Romans chapter 12, verse one, it says, therefore, now anytime you see the word, therefore, it's connecting to something in the past. We're gonna go back to that in a second because Paul has been talking for 11 chapters in the book of Romans. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. In other words, I'm writing to a group of Christians in Rome who are eating good gelato and having a good time over there. And he's like, I'm writing to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, we got to pause because notice what Paul just said. He said, therefore... What I've just written about God's mercy, for 11 chapters he's been saying the gospel is the hope of the world. He's saying that there's nothing good about you apart from Jesus. And the best thing about me, I had nothing to do with. It's the gospel and the gospel alone. Meaning that you and I have sin in our life and we have no hope apart from the gospel. And a holy God wanted to have a relationship with us and through his son Jesus, through the gospel, we have hope again. So in view of God's mercy that I couldn't have ever earned and that I could never hold, in view of God's good mercy, he says, here is our response to that. Our response to God's mercy is we worship. I love this. What is worship? It's me responding to who God is and what he's done. In fact, specifically, he defines the worship. He says the worship is that your bodies are a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. The way we respond to God's mercy is through holy living that pleases God. This is our true and proper worship. This is who I am. This is what I, hey, what's your purpose in life? Well, what all God's done to me, I'm gonna live my life worshiping him. That's a pretty good purpose, and you do that for the rest of your life. And then he goes on to say, but I know you want to know God's will. You're trying to figure out, okay, providential moral, I'm in the middle. I'm trying to figure out God's will, get an answer to my question. How do I do that? Look at verse 2, because Paul goes on to answer that. He says, with that said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, do not be conformed. I love that Paul recognizes something you and I struggle with. You and I struggle with being conformed, meaning we want to shape shift our life and to be like somebody else that we want to please, like somebody that we admire, or like someone that will accept us. So we change who we are a little bit. You ever try to want to be like somebody who's an influence? You want to be like somebody who wants you to be a certain way or somebody that you just admire, somebody that you're hoping will accept you. We all have these insecurities. We're constantly tempted to shape shift in our own lives. And the reality is Paul says, don't do that. And the reason he says don't do that is because God created you a masterpiece, uniquely created to, with a specific vision for your life. And don't become like a vision he has for somebody else's life. He says, don't be conformed and then he goes on to say, here's how most of us are conformed. This is all of us. You think 1984, like Big Brother's a problem? Paul was way ahead of that. Look what he says. He says, we aren't conformed to like some Big Brother thing. It's worse than that. He says, there is a pattern to this world. There is an undercurrent 
that's happening all around you and me that most of us don't see. And the author of it, he says, is Satan himself, the enemy of God, has created an undercurrent that's all around us and it's pushing against you and me, tempting us to be conformed to something other than his vision for our life. And this current that we can't see comes in the form of books we read, the music we listen to, the movies we watch, the people we talk to, the social media we're on, the podcast we're listening, the media that we watch. All the undercurrent is constantly going because you notice we're constantly being pushed to shape shift or to conform to a certain ideology and constantly happening is something we can't even see and you don't even have to work at this without doing anything at all. You're slowly being conformed, Paul said. Beware of that. Be aware of that. How in the world, this feels so overwhelming, how in the world do I battle that? And he gives us the answer. Look what he says. He says, the way you resist being conformed to the pattern of this world is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love in Ephesians 5, we're told that we renew our mind through the washing of his word. In Psalm 51, David says, you are renewed from the inside out by being washed with the word of God. Paul says, in order for you to resist that conforming of the pattern of this world, you can't be, uh, you have to renew your mind. And then, here's the promise. The thing that you want the answer to, the question you're waiting to get the answer, he says, and then you will be able to test and approve. Meaning, it's like a discerning, sorting out, you're working hard, what God's will is. There it is. That's what we're after. That's the goal. That's like the pot at the end of the rainbow. You're working really hard to get there. This is the work that it takes to get there. And then he reminds us, when you do get there to God's will and you get the answer to the question that you're chasing, here it is. It's good. It's pleasing. And it's perfect. It's worth it in the end. Now let me just challenge you. Because you have an intuition, you have feelings, and you have reason. You have all these things just in you. And it's easy to bring those things to the table and make most of your decisions that way. In fact, there are three big categories we're always making decisions. One is in the area of relationships. And the truth is, what we're told, just what Paul just told us is, your intuition and mine will often be different than what God's word says. Because his ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. So if you feel a bump, then you're probably headed in the right direction. You, you and I need to shift to you're in the right place to shift to his direction. Second big area is in the area of finances. Often our desires, our feelings don't match what God wants and says is best for us. So we don't want to trust our feelings just because we want something, just because we desire something doesn't make it right. And then third is in the area of our health. The truth is there are a lot of decisions that we have to make and if it bumps up against God's word, then we adjust and we follow what God says for us to do. Truth is, yes, we read the Bible, but how we read the Bible matters. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we read it in a way that will actually lead us to God's heart and God's will? And here's a better way to say it, is how do we move beyond how we typically read the Bible, where we cherry pick it and we get it to say what we want it to say? Where I'm just gonna read a devotion, somebody said this is what I'm supposed to believe, so I'm gonna believe that. Nothing wrong with reading devotions. I love reading devotionals. But there is a sense in which we can read the Bible in a specific way to really gain the heart of God. How do we do this? How do we move beyond having the Bible say what we want it to say? How do we move beyond Big Bird is the Antichrist kind of reading of the Bible? Well, here it is. To begin to be a person who searches for principles. 
Searching for principles. You say, well, what is a principle? Well, a principle is a timeless truth throughout the scriptures. It's not just a one time. You see this truth throughout scripture. It's repeated in scripture. You see this truth emerge almost like a well from beneath the ocean. You're like, oh, there it is again. That's a big truth. That's a big principle that I see throughout the Bible. And if you're like, well, now what is a principle? Because I remember I was talking about the moral will of God. Let me, let me separate the two, the difference between a command and a principle. A command, you remember in week, two, week one was, it's the do's and don'ts, right? You think of the 10 commandments, all the things we should do and we shouldn't do. A principle, however, is the result of if you obey or disobey the command. Like you can break a command, you can't break a principle. A principle is just like Murphy's Law. It's gonna happen no matter what. Let me give you some examples of principles, and you'll see these throughout the scriptures. Uh, several examples. One is, you reap what you sow. It's just a principle that you see over and over throughout scripture. Another is, whoever walks with the wise will grow wise. A great principle to teach our students and our children. Your faith grows best in the context of community. That's where all the one another's are practiced. It's a principle. Purity now leads to intimacy later. It's a principle throughout Scripture. To gain authority, you must be under authority. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. Allow God to replace what he has put in place. These are principles that we see throughout the Scriptures. Now here's what I love to do, and maybe some of you do this already, is to have a journal or a moleskin, or maybe you put it in your notes app of your phone, but to record these principles as you come across them in Scripture and to have a place where you put them down when you come across them because these are guiding lights going forward. Here's why. Because every decision you will ever make intersects a principle of God's Word. It's identifying the principles that you see repeated throughout Scripture so that you can go, okay, that's something I want to hold on to. I don't want to let that go. I'll give you a quick example. Do you remember in the Old Testament, this guy named David, right? He's the second king of Israel. But when he was young, God came to him and told him he was going to be the next king, the second king of Israel, and the first king was Saul. Well, the first king Saul heard that God went and told David. He got very insecure, and he actually ends up chasing David all the way to the En Gedi, the desert, with the intent to kill him. Well, there's an odd story recorded, an odd moment in that story recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 24 when David and his men are hiding because they hear Saul's on the way and his army. They're hiding in a cave. Some of you may remember the story. And Saul goes into that cave to use the restroom. Of all the caves he could have gone. And it's big enough where he doesn't see that David and his men are in there. He's suddenly using the restroom, and we'll say he's in a, a vulnerable position. And David's men look at David and say, this is the moment God has made. You can take him out now and claim what God has already told you. You will then be the next king. Now, this is like one of those moments where you say, here's your sign, David. Like, it's pretty obvious, right? Of all the clues he's been given, God's already told him he's going to be the next king. If you're using circumstances to determine God's will, it's clear because of all the caves you could have gone to, he's this one, I mean, and now he's so vulnerable. And then number three, if you're looking at wise counselors, his wise people in his life are telling him to take him out. So it's sort of obvious what he should do, and yet David refused. And you know why? Because there was a principle that he had learned in God's word, and he knew this principle was his guiding light. And despite those clues... 
he would not violate this biblical principle. He said, if you remember, I will not lift my hand and touch God's anointed. What he was saying was, God put him in place, and I want to allow God to replace who he put in place. Yes, I'm going to be the next king, but God will be the one who removes the current king. He knew that was a principle throughout scripture, and so he refused to to violate it. And eventually, sure enough, God removed Saul and put David into place. So he not only got the right role, but he got it in the right time because he didn't violate a principle. There are lots of principles all throughout scripture. Here's the key is, are you learning those principles? So you don't just cherry pick, right? But instead, we're taking these principles and we're learning what God actually says, how he teaches us through these guiding lights. How do you get those principles? Here it is. Here's the bottom line. You must and I must immerse ourselves in God's word. And then it will help us make wise decisions. I know we need a reading plan. We'll talk about that in a minute. But you got to do that in order to make wise decisions. Now, back to our original question. Here it is. But how do I know God's will? Some of you are going, well, that's all fine and good, Mark. It was a good little story you told. But at the end of the day, I still need to know, do I move there? Do I buy that? Am I getting the house? Like, how do I make that decision? I want to know God's will specifically for the thing I'm trying to decide. And most of us respond, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is I need to do. And this is my favorite part I've been waiting to get to in the entire series is I want to introduce to you a better question, a more helpful new question. Instead of how do I know God's will because it always feels confusing, I think a better question is what is the wise decision? What is the wise decision? And let me tell you why I think this is better. Because most of us in our life will spend our life wrestling with a decision that is less significant to God then whether or not you're loving him and loving people. That's what matters most to him. Let me explain why this, I believe, is a better question than how can you know God's will. Is, is it a wise decision? Because practice number one, when you're discerning God's will, is what we looked at earlier. There's a guardrail of the providential and moral will of God. Stuff he's going to do anyway and the, and the do's and don'ts. These are the guardrails. Am I staying within the guardrails God has already clearly revealed in his word? Question number one. Practice number two is, am I asking wise people who are kind of like an audio map? They've already gone down the road and they can say, hey, make sure when you get there, turn left. Make sure you avoid this thing. Make sure, you know, you you enjoy this. Like they're going to give, they've already gone down the road I'm headed between the moral and providential will of God. And then today what we've looked at is there's also a visual map in God's word. And this is the third practice, meaning There are principles along the way that I should just practice and know that they are always true. Ways to behave, ways to live. The question is, am I there yet? This determines if I'm on the right road. Am I within the guardrails and am I following the audio and the visual map? This helps answer the specific question, am I on the right road? And you're like, yeah, but I still need to know, do I move there? Do I take the job? Do I... Well, the first thing you need to do is determine, are you on the right road? These three practices will help reveal that. Once you're on, and here's where I just want to encourage you, I hope. Some of you are going to leave so emotionally unsatisfied with what I'm about to say. But once you're on the right road, you're not trying to discern God's will anymore. You're trying to decide which lane you want to drive in. And God gives us a lot of freedom there. 
I believe often what God says is, I don't care if you buy the car or not, but when you do, will you love me and love people more? Because that's the first and second great commandment. Are you between the providential and moral will of God? Are you listening to wise advisors? Are you in God's word? And if you are, then you are on the right road. This is where we should spend our energy is, am I on the right road? The tragedy is, most people spend their whole lives trying to figure out whether or not they're on the right lane of the wrong road. What we need to be spending our time is, am I on the right road? And then enjoy the freedom of the lanes. Does that make sense? When I talk to somebody, am I, you know, I just don't know if I, God's will for me to, to do this thing. It's like, okay, how are we doing in following scripture? How are we doing in getting wise counselors? How are we doing in being immersed in God's word? I'm like, well, I, I'm definitely going to do those things. And they're doing what most of us do. They're trying to figure out the right lane on the wrong road. The hardest thing is just to get on the right road, be living our lives by loving him and loving people more, and then we have freedom within that to make, just making wise decisions on the right road. The truth is, it's too high of a cost if we don't do this. At the end of the day, the best advice I can give anybody who follows Jesus is to immerse ourselves in God's word, and it will help you and I make wise decisions. It will help you, but if you don't, it will cost you too much to be worrying about the right lane on the wrong road. You will miss out on God's vision for your life. You will not get the answer you're seeking, and it's too costly to miss the wrong road and to end up wrestling over the right lane. Now, I'm going to tell you, I believe we've got to be in God's word. We're not trying to worship the Bible. We are trying to worship the author. And this is how we build a relationship with him is through God's word. And I would tell you a couple of hurdles for me. I asked this on Facebook and a whole bunch of you were really helpful in giving me feedback and saying, hey, you're intimidated by the Bible. That's why you don't read it. Or, or you don't know where to start. And that's why you don't read it. Or you, you, know, you just have all these really normal reasons. And I believe it's so powerful. And if it's true that God is real and his enemy doesn't want us in his word, doesn't it make sense that it would be hard to get into his word? And most of us find that it is. And I believe that's proof for the spiritual battle that you and I are up against. Let me give you two reasons, just being very honest, why sometimes it is a hurdle for me to get in God's word and just be immersed in it. Number one, I sometimes feel like I'm too busy. I know it's not real. I know it's about prioritization, so you don't have to judge me. I get that, okay? But that's the way I feel sometimes is that I'm just too busy. I love what one person in our small group said this week. They said that they were taught as a little, as a little girl that if Satan can't get you bad, he'll get you busy, right? So there's that. That was right between the eyes for me. That was good. And then number two is if I don't have a regular reading plan, like if I complete a plan and all of a sudden, I, you know, you wake up the next morning, you don't have a plan, you know, then you kind of plan to fail, right? And that's easy for, I think, most of us to do. So here's the good news I want to give you. We complete today the first third of 2023, the first third of the year. And tomorrow's May 1st, and we have two-thirds of the year left. Here's what I want to encourage you because the wisdom you seek in this life is found in God's word. I want to encourage you to begin immersing yourself in the Bible just a little more than you already are for the last two-thirds of the year and to see if God's ways and thoughts don't become your ways and thoughts more 
than they currently are. And when you do that, I want to encourage you to write down principles, to have a system. You don't have to like discover them all this week. You might not discover any this week, or you might discover two or three this week. But to begin to discover principles and to have a way of writing them down, whether it's in your Bible or a notebook, but somewhere. And then number two, I want to encourage you to download a Bible reading plan. There are so many great, more than ever before, there are so many great Bible reading plans. And if you don't have a place, if you don't have a time on your calendar, it won't consistently happen. Our enemy will ensure that. But I'm encouraging you to begin to do that. And to really make it easy, I want to encourage you to download a specific Bible reading plan. In fact, there's one that we want to share with you here on this uh, QR code that is, um, it's a 19-day reading plan. And it actually, if you want to pull your phone out right now and just click on that QR code, it's different from the one that's in the pew in front of you. Or you can go to this URL, lpchurch.us slash plan. And I want to tell you, this is either a one-step or two-step process, depending on whether or not you have the U version on your Bible. If you have the U on your Bible, on your phone, U version, I believe, is the best Bible app because it's not only incredible, but it's free, my favorite price. And if you go on to this QR code, and you have the U version already on your phone, then it'll take you right to the Bible plan and you got it. And this, is, this can be, you can do it privately or you can do it shared and we can read this together over the next 19 days. If you don't have the U version on your phone, you'll click on this QR code. It'll ask you if you want to download the app and then you go back to the QR code and now you can take that second step as well. So we'll leave that up there. Again, you can go to our website slash plan. It'll take you there as well. Immersing ourselves in God's word helps reveal wise decisions that God wants us to make. There's one more very helpful tool that I believe God has for our lives when we're discerning God's will, and that's what we're gonna look at as we wrap this series up next Sunday. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you so much that we can worship you and be a living sacrifice. Thank you, though there is a current that pushes us, that you give us your word to renew our mind. God, may we immerse ourselves in your word, identify the principles that are unfailing, never changing, and lead us to your thoughts and your ways. Thank you, God, for loving us so much. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.